The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Hello and welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. This is um, the second to the last Q&A show we've got for this year in 2023. We're actually recording this uh, right before Christmas. It's going to air immediately before uh, Christmas on Christmas Eve Eve, we'll call it. Um, So hopefully your holiday season is going well. I know we're busy in my household getting ready for family festivities, but uh, Jim, I haven't heard what uh, big plans that you might have for the coming four or five days, but um, it's getting been kind of warm here. It hasn't felt like Christmas time, but that's supposed to change for us in the next 48 hours or so, and we might actually have a slightly white Christmas here on Monday, which, uh, believe it or not, people listening from around the country, it's... Uh, where most of the population of Colorado lives, it's actually fairly rare to have a white Christmas. Uh, our heavier snowed uh, months are not uh, in December. So, um, welcome, Jim. Was that my cue? All right. That's your cue to maybe share, uh, I don't know, you got anything big going on the next few days? No, not doing much. I, I do more for Thanksgiving than I mm-hmm. do for Christmas. I don't... Uh, entertain at the house for Christmas like I do uh, on Thanksgiving. I'll most likely head down to Rachel's place and uh, just hang with her. Uh, We thought about maybe entertaining, but she shot that idea down. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually do a hike every Christmas morning. Nothing major, just a little uh, thing in in town. Uh, Again, this year, we'll wait to see. It's weather dependent. But how warm it's been lately, folks, I even if it snows, Chris, I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to melt on the roads. It's been so freaking hot lately. That'd be fine. Just have it nice and white on the grass. Yeah. If we can get a little bit on the grass, that'll be fine. But yeah, no major plans really. Uh, Christmas is, you know, for a 60 year old single guy with no kids or grandkids. Yeah. It's Christmas. Who cares? True. <laughs> I've but, got, uh, we probably have 15 people at our house on Christmas, so it'll be even bigger than our Thanksgiving gathering this year. So, Well, you've got that whole brood of children, and you don't yeah. have grandkids yet, do you? No grandkids yet. 
Okay, that'll well, that'll change kids. Christmas uh, for sure after that. But uh, yeah, plenty of kids and some spouses and we've got some grandparents in town and all kinds of folks coming over. So yeah, I had 15 people over my house for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. but Christmas much more mellow. All right. But anyways, folks, hopefully by mm-hmm. time you hear this, you're having a wonderful holiday season yourself, whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or any of the other Festivus. things that are festivist for the rest of us. Yes. Um, so whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate, I hope you uh, enjoy everything. Uh, yesterday, as we record this, was the longest day of the year for mm-hmm. all of us in the we call the northern day, hemisphere. So say what? The shortest day, not the longest day. Shortest day, shortest day. Now it's going to be getting longer every day. It's going to be staying light a little bit longer. So that's something to look forward to. And uh, by summer, I'll be complaining about how hot and dry it is. <laughs> but uh, that's usually just what we do. But anyways, we're over the hump, and now the days are getting longer again. All righty. Although I did see, Chris, mm-hmm. that Florida is supposed to be colder than normal this year. Hmm. And Colorado is going to be warmer than normal, but I think Colorado is always warmer than normal. But um, Florida is supposed to be, quote-unquote, colder than normal this year. So I'm wondering when I'm in Florida. I'll be in Florida in February for two weeks for sure, maybe three weeks. And I'm just wondering if I'll have Florida weather or more like fall weather. I'm curious to see. You can let us know when you go. I will, because I will broadcast from sunny, albeit maybe a little bit cooler than normal, Florida. All right. So as we always do, Chris and folks, we will begin with a Social Security question, and then we go into Irma questions. We have two Irma questions, Chris. Um, One, it's not going to quite work the way this person thinks. The other, I'm struggling over... Because I can't remember if we answered it or not. It looks familiar to me, but I'm not sure. Maybe when I read it, you'll you'll let me know. But even if we answered it, keep me going. Because I think the question she's asking, a lot of people can, can benefit from. So anyways, two Irma questions today, folks. And uh, one Social Security question. And then we got a couple of annuity questions. And if time permits, we'll get into an IRA question. Okay. Alrighty, so Social Security. This comes from our um, blog post, Chris, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com, for those who don't know. But he's also a podcast listener. So, yeah, he said, how did because when you go to our blog post, helpwithmysocialsecurity.com, and you fill in the contact us form there, which this gentleman did, it asks you, how did you find our website? Most people put web search. Uh, he put podcast. So he is a podcastian. He is from, uh, no hint, but he's from a state. Chris, see if you can guess this one. Mm-hmm. It begins and ends with the same letter. Hmm. My um, hint. Wow. I did, it stumped you. You should have guessed this right away. Well, I'm, state, I'm cycling through the states state. in my mind. <clears throat> Uh, is it a long name or a short name? <laughs> I'm not giving it um, away. I gave it away already. It begins and ends with the same letter. Uh, it's not coming to me. 
Ohio. Oh, well, yeah. That, <laughs> yes. that would be that would be one. Is there another one, or is that it? Something. I have no idea. I oh. just was looking at the name Ohio, and I looked, and yeah, I I'm saw, not sure why oh, that didn't. It pop begins and ends with an O. That'll yeah. be my hint. Yeah. Well, I think growing up in the West, I have a Western bias. So in my mind, I'm cycling through all the states more close to us out here first before I head east. And I hadn't gotten to Ohio yet in my mind. Alaska would have worked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another one I should have gotten. Yep. Yep. I don't know. I I didn't go there. But I don't think anything besides Alaska and Ohio begin and end in the same letter. Anyways, I don't want to waste our listeners' time. But you all can... Say who? Arizona. Arizona. Mm-hmm. That's right. Arizona, Alaska, Ohio. So yeah, there's many. Mm-hmm. So anyways, Ohio. And his question is this. Hello, Chris and Jim. Love your podcast. I have a question concerning Social Security, WEP, and survivor benefits. Mm-hmm. I'll pause there. WEP, folks, windfall elimination provision. Chris will get into it much, much deeper. But it really affects people um, – who probably work for a government and and have a pension that they do not participate in Social Security with. But Chris will explain more about WEP and how they figure it out. But it impacts your personal benefits. That's WEP. Okay. My mother and father are both 65 years old. My father will be retiring in April of 2024. My mother, May of 2024. My father has a pension, and after WEP, he will only get $500 a month in Social Security. Mm -hmm. My mother will take Social Security at age 66 and 10 months. I'm guessing, Chris, that's his mom's full retirement age. Mm -hmm. My mother will take Social Security at 66 and 10 months. Our main question is this. What happens if my mom dies first? She has a much bigger benefit than my father, about $3,200 per month. Would my father get half of my mom's? Will WEP affect his survivor benefits? Can you please talk through how Social Security works when WEP is involved? Mm -hmm. Thank you Mm -hmm. so much, and I love the podcast. So uh, how much was the... uh, uh, how much was the his the dad's benefit with WEP? Five hundred after WEP adjustment. Okay, so I'm taking notes here. Okay, so let's start with some general rules, and um, so this applies. This situation applies when someone simultaneously has entitlement to a social security benefit. And they also have what's called a non-covered pension. A non-covered pension is a pension where you were not covered in Social Security system while participating in accruing that pension. That happens generally these days in government work, uh, school districts, um, hospitals sometimes that have kind of a a, a partnership governmental connection um, or nonprofit status, those types of situations are where we see this most often. The most common, just because there's a lot of teachers out there, the most common we run into are 
uh, school district employees, although not all school district employees around the country have non-covered pensions. Many states, you have a maybe a school district pension and you simultaneously contribute to Social Security as well. So you're covered under both. But a lot of other places you'll go, even within a given state, there'll be a mix of this that uh, you will have a alternative pension. And that sounds like the situation for his father because he's being affected by WEP, the windfall elimination provision. The windfall elimination provision changes the formula for calculating your benefit to recognize the fact that despite having a small or a relatively small social security benefit, you really aren't a low-wage worker And the reason I point that out is Social Security is in the formula is biased toward low wage workers in its replacement ratio in in saying that in more layman's terms, Social Security benefit uh, as a percentage of your pre retirement earnings is higher as a percentage for low wage workers than for high wage workers. It's intentionally designed to be that way. So someone who has a non-covered pension and then maybe only participates in Social Security for a few years or part-time during the summer or something like that appears in the Social Security system like a low-wage worker and so gets the benefit of that higher replacement ratio when, in fact, they're not really a low-wage worker because they have this government pension off to the side as kind of um, a Social Security substitute. So windfall elimination provision uh, addresses this issue to try to make it more fair. And uh, they change the formula so that you don't get as much of that high replacement ratio uh, for your pre-retirement earnings in the form of Social Security benefits. Uh, All that being said, it's probably cutting his father's Social Security benefit in half. Um. Generally, the WEP offset, the reduction to your Social Security benefit uh, as a result of having a non-covered pension, um, varies depending on how old you are because it's based on the year that you turn 62. But for the most part, it's going to be, for listeners of this show, somewhere between uh, almost $500 to almost $600. So in the 480 to 580 range, somewhere in there is going to be the offset. So since he has a $500 benefit after WEP, that tells me he probably has a gross social security benefit without the WEP offset of about a thousand bucks, somewhere around there. So that's WEP. So for, for the person who's collecting his father in this case, while he's alive, he's getting a social security benefit and the, uh, uh, government pension that he's entitled to. He didn't share, uh, at least Jim didn't read it to me, what his government pension size is, but he's collecting those simultaneously. He's got his pension, and then he's got his $500 a month Social Security benefit. The question posed here, though, isn't about his own benefit. Is posed here is what happens if his mother dies, who has a nice, healthy Social Security benefit in the form of $3,200 a month, Does his father get any of that? Possibly. But that benefit is affected by a different provision, something called GPO, the government pension offset. So the trigger, what causes the offset, is still the non-covered pension that the father has. So that's the culprit here. That's what's causing the WEP on his own benefit. But then GPO, which applies to survivor and spousal benefits, 
So uh, this reader is thinking WEP might affect the survivor benefit. It does not. WEP only affects his father's own benefit. GPO comes in if there's a spousal or survivor benefit. And unlike WEP, which kind of is capped at about this $500 a month level, and when I say 500 it, it can be more than that. It, it, it actually reduces your PIA by about $500, 500 to $600, depending on the year, your year of birth. And um, because that WEP then can grow via the delayed retirement credits effectively, um, you're going to uh, potentially have um, you know, a higher uh, offset than the $500, but that's kind of going off into the weeds. But um, unlike that benefit, which is capped, you know, it's essentially this fixed dollar amount as a maximum, regardless of how big your pension is. He could be making $100,000 a year from this government pension, and the WEP offset is still the same size, even if he had a $10,000 a year pension he would have essentially the same. Well, that's a bad example because if that'd be, if it's too small, then they do reduce the WEP offset a little bit. But even if it was like $20,000 a year in his government pension, he'd still get that same WEP offset. GPO is a different beast. The government pension offset says that if you're collecting a spousal or survivor benefit, your social security will benefit will be reduced $2 for every $3 of that spousal or survivor. Uh, I'm sorry, $2 for every $3 of your government pension that you had, your non-covered pension. So that $3,200, first of all, his um, dad, if, if his mom passed away first, at face value would be entitled to receive the full 3200 not half. People mix up spousal and survivor benefits all, all the time. Survivor benefits for spouses are 100% of what the other spouse was collecting. So if the mom was collecting $3,200 and then passed away, the father, if they didn't have a non-covered pension, would get the $3,200 if she had the higher benefit between the two of them. But with GPO, that may be completely wiped out. Because if his uh, government pension is, let's say, 3200 I'm doing a little figure in here. If his government pension is $4,800 a month, his non-covered pension, that will completely eliminate, because two-thirds of that is 3200 that would completely eliminate any survivor benefit. Now, he'd still get his $500 his own benefit, because that's affected by WEP. And some people say, well, that's certainly not fair. Well, GPO is perfectly fair, in my opinion. And the reason is, if they both had Social Security, the survivor doesn't get to keep both. They only get to keep the highest. And this is similar to that. And if anything, the GPO actually opens the door to, his, to him actually receiving some of the benefit, um, where if they both collected Social Security and he had the higher benefit, he'd get none of hers. So this is GPO really puts people more in line with a household with two social security benefits rather than one non-covered pension on with one spouse and one social security on the other. So it isn't WEP that's going to affect that survivor benefit for his dad if the mother 
passes first. It's GPO. And depending on the size of his non-covered pension, it might completely eliminate the 3200 Now, if he's only making in his government his non-covered pension $3,000 a month, for instance, his GPO offset would only be two-thirds of that, or about $2,000. And that $2,000, they would subtract from the 3200 and he would receive $1,200 of the Social Security survivor benefit from his wife and still get to keep his uh, pension uh, it's in, in full. So that's how that would work. They're, the math is completely different between the two. Um, one, the WEP only applies to your own benefit. GPO applies to any survivor or spousal benefit that you might receive. And when I say you, I'm talking about the person with the non-covered pension in this story happens to be his dad. So hope that that gave me opportunity to kind of walk through all the, you know, how WEP and GPO work again, which I'm glad we bring it up periodically. It comes up on the show pretty regularly, a few times a year. And that's good because even people who've heard it before is still very confusing and uh, people get them mixed up and convoluted. And it's just a, it's a prime example of the overly complex nature of social security and the rules. And they're uh, easily misunderstood. There's a lot of misunderstanding out there about how WEP and GPO work. There's a couple little nuanced details to some of what I've talked about that I didn't go into because it gets even more confusing. Uh, some of the limits and how if you work long enough uh, in a, a social security job, the WEP can completely go away if you do enough of that. Uh, but there's certain rules behind qualifying for that and, and that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, this is part of the murkiness of social security rules. All so, right. Perfect. Sorry that took so long, but it takes a while to go through all those. It uh, does. All it does. Rules. I think you did well. I think you did well. We've got uh, two social security, uh, Irma questions. Mm-hmm. I guess, do you want to be the Grinch first Uh-oh. or do you want to be the little drummer boy first? <laughs> Let's go Grinch first, get it out of the way. All right. You're going to be Grinch because you're going to burst this person's bubble. Okay. Okay. It is an Irma-related question, but it's also a tax-related question to a degree. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can be the Grinch and burst this person's bubble. All right. Let's see if there is a clue. Oh, yes. I do have to give this woman credit. I love her clue. Because everybody knows, Chris, why do we call everyone George? It's from what cartoon? Well, it's from uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck uh, with the abominable Looney Tunes snowman. and yeah. Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. I love Looney Tunes. I love Bugs Bunny. Um, I have streaming now, so I can actually stream Looney Tunes. I like that. So I can watch my Bugs Bunny whenever I want, feel like I was... 10 years old again. Uh, you know, the trip down memory lane when you go back 20 years and you imagine yourself 10 again. Yeah, well, I can play uh, the clip to really bring it back for everybody here. <laughs> Just what I always wanted, my own little bunny rabbit. I will name him George, and I will hug him and pet him and squeeze him. I'm not a bunny rabbit. For those who don't know, that's why we call everyone George. Years ago, when we first started the podcast, it wasn't even a podcast, it was a radio show. We were live, and it was hard getting live callers. So we thought we would protect everyone's anonymity 
when they called the radio show, in case people were listening, and mm -hmm. we just decided to call them George. Mm -hmm. And it stuck, but I got the name George from that cartoon with uh, the abominable snowman who uh, wanted a, 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 a rabbit and... Ended up with Daffy Duck, who I guess didn't Bugs put like a yeah, Bugs, glove on his head or something? Yeah, so it looks like he had ears. The, the ears on him, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Bugs Bunny got out of being uh, the pet of the uh, a bomb in a bull snowman, but Daffy Duck was uh, his pet. So, okay, here's the clue. I come from the state. You'll get this. There's, if, if you are a Bugs Bunny fan, uh oh, okay, you will get this hint. I got it instantly. So everybody listen, if you grew up with Bugs Bunny like I did and you don't get this hint, you are not a Bugs Bunny fan. I come from the state that has the city which Bugs Bunny says, I knew I should have taken that left turn at. I do know that one. It's at Albuquerque. Right. So her yep. state is. New Mexico. New Mexico. Mm -hmm. But he pronounced it Albuquerque. We don't have to get that detail, do we? <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe that's why I talk the way I do. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, I learned English from bugs. Albuquerque. Are you sure it wasn't Elmer Fudd? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not learn English from Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that was very mean of you. <laughs> I know. All right, I have a question about planning for Irma. Mm -hmm. I'm many years away from having to deal with this issue, but you have been featuring Irma questions weekly, mm -hmm. and it occurred to me when I listened to the October 7th episode where someone was asking a question about the impacts of selling his house with a very large gain. Mm -hmm. I know you said not to let the Irma tail wag the dog, but it seems like one of the biggest bumps in income comes when people sell their house and make a large amount of cap gains on whatever exclusion they might have. Mm -hmm. This is a particular issue right now with re real estate values being so high. And I am a realtor, so this issue has been jumping out at me. I wonder if there's a planning opportunity when someone plans to sell their house or some other type of investment property in the not-too-distant future, and they think they will make a very large profit. One shouldn't have to sell their house sooner than they want just to avoid Irma, so I'm hoping my idea could be the solution. I thought they could avoid Irma by doing a home equity line of credit and then pay off the loan when they sell the house. It would allow them to get funds out of the house and perhaps even invested and, invo and avoid an increase in IRMA and other taxes since funds coming from a loan are not used to calculate your MAGI. Modified adjusted gross income, folks. Then... Later, maybe six months or more, that equity would get paid back at the sale of their house. And it would remove that portion of profit 
from the gains included in their modified adjusted gross income calculation. They would have to pay interest on the loan, but hopefully that would be less than the IRMA premiums they would face in the coming years. Mm. Hope you're enjoying your time seeing your family. She sent this back when I was traveling, folks. Safe travels, sincerely, and we will call her George. Yeah. I am going to have to be the Grinch. So you you called this one correctly. She's mixing up uh, the difference between income, taxable income specifically, or taxable gains, even more specifically, and cash flows. She's, for those of you who didn't follow the story, as I'm uh, uh, kind of digesting what she said, she's essentially saying, let's load up the property with some debt so that the equity in the house is lower. And so when you sell the house, you're only going to put in your checking account the equity piece. Let me put some numbers to this. Let's say you have a, just to use nice round numbers, I know everybody doesn't have a million dollar house, but the, we'll make the numbers nice and round. If you've got a million dollar house, and let's say you owe $700,000 on it through a loan, maybe multiple loans. Maybe you have a first mortgage and a HELOC on there, but you owe 700000 Everyone who's a homeowner who's ever bought or sold a house probably realizes when you go to sell the house and you sell it for a million dollars, you don't walk away with a million. We'll ignore all the fees and realtor commissions and all that sort of thing. You in this story, uh, you get a million, but you have to pay off the debt. You have to pay off the 700000 you owe, and you only walk away with $300,000. Well, that's not what the IRS taxes. The IRS isn't taxing your equity. The IRS is taxing your profits that you are experiencing on the sale of that. Now, a pro- the profit on real estate is the difference between what you sell it for and your cost basis, what you originally paid for it, plus any documented improvements that you've made to the property over time. So if you bought it for, say, 200000 and over the many years ago, and now it's up to a million, which, believe it or not, in not everywhere in the country, but in many areas of the country, if you owned your house long enough, you easily could have bought it for 150, 200, and now it's worth a million bucks. And you go to sell it, whether you have a loan on it or not, you're going to exp- you're going to recognize eight hundred thousand dollars of gain on that house. Now, if it's your primary residence and you are married filing joint, you get to exclude under current rules five hundred thousand of that eight hundred thousand dollars worth of gain. So you record as on your ten forty just the three hundred thousand. But that's going to go on there, and whether you had a loan on the property or not, that $300,000, in my simple example here, is going to be taxable gain on your tax return and is part of your modified adjusted gross income. The modified adjusted gross income for IRMA measurements, IRMA being the income-related monthly adjustment amount, if we didn't pick that up earlier, it's the Medicare premium surcharges that you pay if you if your modified adjusted gross income exceeds certain levels. And the modified adjusted gross income for IRMA is defined as your AGI from your 1040 plus any uh, non-taxable interest. That's the formula. It's a very simple formula. It's your AGI, everything that goes into it. And part of your AGI is any non-excluded capital gain from the sale of real estate. So her loan idea, unfortunately, isn't going to work. 
it's not going to work for impacting Irma. The fact that you had a loan on the house or not doesn't change the gain on the house. The gain isn't what you put in your checking account. The gain is the difference between the selling price and the cost basis on the property. That's where I have to be the Grinch. This is I, I like the creative thinking, but this one went down the wrong path, and this simply uh, will not work, uh, unfortunately. If, if it did, everybody would kind of do that. But ideas you could do. You could time the sale of the house, right? Yeah, so there's other things you can do, uh, but it's going to involve, and I think that's what she was alluding to when she said something about, you know, it, it's you, you don't want to have to sell it earlier than you want just to avoid Irma. And by earlier, that means, uh, and I think we probably mentioned on that show and why she brought it up, that if the sale of your house where you have this gain, let's say, you know, like my example, you've got 300000 of gain above and beyond the uh, exclusion, the personal residence exclusion currently, uh, if that happens in the same year as a life-changing event for purposes of determining Irma, you could basically hide that gain in a year where you retired, got divorced, you know, some kind of life-changing event that led ultimately to a reduction in income. And through the SSA 44 request, you could then ask them to ignore that year uh, and the income, the Maggie from that year, and instead use a more current, a more recent year with lower income recognition. But you have to have one of those life-changing events. And that's where, you know, with some proactive thinking and proactive planning, you might be able to time the sale, at, you know, when you're having a life-changing event and get out of it. She was saying, well, you know, we hate to have to force yourself to do that because maybe you're not ready. You don't want to sell it. You want to retire and then maybe a few years later then sell the house. Yeah, that that happens. Now, now the glass half full part is um, it, it, it's still lovely to have a huge gain on your house. I mean, it's it's still a, a net positive for you. The uh, and And if you did happen to have it, it's going to spike your income in that one year, but it's not uh, with Irma, it's an, a yearly assessment. It doesn't increase your Irma and then permanently leave you in that position for the rest of your retirement or lives. It's just going to be a one-time spike, um, uh, which might impact you uh, in your Medicare premium search or your Medicare premiums that particular year. So it is a one-time transient event is, is the other good news. Okay. Well, Grinch, now you can be the little drummer boys. It's- oh, good. Now you can be be nice. You're going to stay there, play some nice calming music on your drum. Okay. Is this another okay. Irma? It's an Irma-related okay. question. And okay. as I read it again, folks, if I answered this, or if Chris has answered this in the past, I apologize. It doesn't have the mark. Usually when um, it's answered, it's forwarded to Jacob. And it doesn't show as being forwarded in my email. So my gut tells me I never answered this, but it just seems so familiar. Okay, we'll start with our hint first. I thought the hint was pretty good. I did not know this. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know you needed a trademark. But she lives in the state where the name Cheeseburger was trademarked. Hmm. In 1935. Well, um, maybe I didn't ask this no, question yet. If you um, can't guess it, maybe cheeseburger. 
Yeah, I'm thinking maybe Ohio or Pennsylvania, something like that. Why, why Ohio? Well, there's because a lot Ohio... of people there, and and they in the 1930s, a lot of the a lot of people in California types of stuff that. Well, I don't I don't see California as being a place that invented a, a burger, and I would think this would be kind of in where where these started to be not necessarily invented for the first time, but really started to catch on, and I. My mind is just oh, telling you're me. wrong. It's not Pennsylvania. It's yeah. not Ohio. Yeah. It was trademarked in 1935 by Lewis Ballast of Humpty Dumpty Drive-In oh, in the good city of Denver, Colorado. Maybe we did have this before. Does that sound familiar? Before. It sounds a little familiar, but All right, now that well, you say that, repeat. I'm like, I think I screwed this question up once before, and now I just did it again. <laughs> Um, it just sounds familiar, and I don't know whoever th- this guy didn't do a good job in trademark protection. I guess with cheeseburgers, everybody calls it cheeseburger now. Well, trademark doesn't oh. last forever. True, true, true. Okay. Anyways, question number one: Can you tell me when I will be able to know the maximum I can learn earn in twenty twenty three? Now, again, twenty twenty three is over, but uh, this can apply for future years. The maximum I can earn in 2023 to avoid Irma surcharges in 2025. When will I know it? I'm afraid you are going to tell me it won't be until 2024. Hmm. So if you're in a given year, in other words, folks, let's say 2024 now, when are you going to be told what the Irma limits for 2024 are that will apply in 2026, mm-hmm. when are they telling you? 2024 sometime or 2025? Yeah, yeah the, the frustrating part about this, especially for planners looking ahead and individuals doing their own planning, is that they don't let you know what the IRMA brackets are until right before the year they're going to apply them to you. So for her question, her 2025 IRMA, we won't know the brackets until late in 2024, so way past when you could have done some income manipulation back in 2023. Now, they generally increase with inflation. So to play it safe, you could, relatively safe, because they can always go down, but they generally would go up because we have generally positive inflation in the United States, and they've generally been letting them go up with inflation, although Congress can manipulate them. But I think it's relatively safe to assume the brackets will be at least where you're at now or higher. So you could use the current brackets as your gauge for planning and then know you're likely to be able to recognize a bit more than that before you actually go because the brackets will inflate um, before you uh, get there. And if you're planning late in the year, like we knew the 2024 IRMA brackets, I don't know the exact date they were released, but we've known them now for probably 45 days or so. It's been a while. It's been over a month that we've known what they were. So you'd have at least, essentially, you'd be off by a year. So you could make your own assumptions for what you think inflation will be like in the upcoming year. And maybe the brackets go up by that amount and you can do your planning around that. But it is unfortunate for planning purposes that you are are essentially shooting at a moving target. If you're trying to recognize income Maggie specifically, modified adjusted gross income, not taxable income, your Maggie, all the way up to a certain bracket if you're trying to do it through 
Roth conversions or something, and you're trying to get it filled as much as possible before you trigger Irma, you're shooting at an unknown number when you're when you're there. You got to make some assumptions. So I'm not sure how that's little drummer boy helpful. That's kind of bad news. That's still kind of grinchy. Well, you answered a question. You were a nice little drummer boy. Okay. Her second question. My husband is collecting Social Security for the first time in 2023. I'm still working. I'm also assuming that 85% of my husband's Social Security will be taxable. Mm -hmm. How much of his Social Security will be included in our MAGI, Modified Adjusted Gross Income Calculation Mm -hmm. for IRMA? Mm -hmm. Just the 85% or the full 100%? Mm. Well, here's where I can be the happy little drummer boy. It's just the 85% or the 50% or the 0%, uh, although you wouldn't have be worrying about Irma if you somehow were qualifying with zero of your Social Security being sucked into the taxable category. But in this case, uh, because it is AGI plus non-taxable interest for the Maggie, I like Maggie instead of Magi, but same thing, for the Maggie calculation for Irma determination, they are not adding back the non-taxed component of Social Security. So it's only the 85%. So this I can be good news deliverer, which I think the little drummer boy was. He's pretty happy. Drummer boy was happy? Yeah. He was a good little drummer boy. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to some non-IRMA and Social Security questions. We like to do a annuity question, so I've been um, trying to – oh, wait. Before a PSA from one of our listeners, we do not vet our questions or answers. So a California listener wanted to point out that I think your podcast is excellent, but wanted to share a correction regarding a listener hint of their state. California hosted the Summer Olympics in 1984. Not 1980. Mm. So you yeah, just 80, wanted to clear- 80 was um, Moscow, was Russia, and there was the boycott. Was I'm 90% sure. So, that yeah, I think they're right on that. Okay. Well, he's a PhD who sent this to us, so he must mm. be right. Yeah. Okay. Took care of that one. Now let's get into actual questions. Where is the, here it is. Okay, so this is the annuity question. He begins, Dear Jim and Chris, I am from the state whose iconic symbol ceased to physically exist on May 3rd, 20, excuse me, May 3rd, 2003. Huh. Hmm. Whose iconic symbol ceased to physically exist I did not know this because I've heard of this iconic symbol. Uh, I'll narrow your your search down, Chris. It's not too far from where I used to live in New England. But I didn't realize it's not there anymore. I wonder what happened to it on May 3rd, 2003. I'm going to have to Google this after the show. Is it a bridge? I'm not answering. He wants, what's the state? Just pick a state. It's not far from Massachusetts. Um, Within driving distance. New York. New Hampshire. Oh, okay. It was a new something. He claims Old Man of the Mountain ceased to exist on May 3rd, 2003. 
Huh. As I read his question, why don't you Google what the hell happened to the okay. old man of the mountain I on will. May 3rd, 2003 in New Hampshire? Okay. Inquiring minds want to know. Okay. Thank you for your podcast. I have recently become an avid listener as my wife and I rapidly approach retirement. I find solace in Jim's Southeastern Mass accent from where my late mother descended. As a formerly trained mechanical engineer and lifelong vanguardian, I belong solidly to the class of people you describe as VGs, or Vanguard Engineers. So a very typical listener to this podcast, a VG. My question stems from your EDU on choosing a financial advisor. Although I'm a true Vanguard engineer, do-it-yourselfer, my wife is not anywhere close, nor does she desire to be. And I want to have an experienced hand to help her if and when I become incapable of what I do well. What he's sharing there, listeners, we see a lot. It's rare that both spouses in a relationship are totally into the family finances. It's usually one over the other. And the spouse who's very into it does worry deeply. What's going to happen to my spouse? Who's going to help him or her after I'm gone? And it seems to be that this is what this listener is concerned with. And he's recognizing he may need to work with another professional. Not so much because he can't do it. He's, he's saying, I do it. I'm a Vanguard VG. I like it. But I worry about my wife. And he's trying to get someone involved in their situation. So I've seen this before, listener, is all I'm saying. In doing so, I have taken your tips and began vetting advisors now. And I'm looking at the fee-only advisor website, NAPFA. That's National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, folks. These are fee-only advisors. My, oh, excuse me, I already read that paragraph. In my search, I came across an advisor that closely matches your approach to retirement, including espousing the use of annuities where they make sense to cover basic living needs that you so wholeheartedly recommend. Mm -hmm. However, one term he uses that was new to me is commission-free annuity. Hmm. As you can imagine, this term sounded like music to the ears of a Vanguard VG like myself. Do it yourself. Commission-free annuity. Do. Do it yourself. Commission-free annuities actually exist? Or is this a branding tactic used by the insurance industry to appeal to the growing cadre of fee-only advisors and or self-planners such as myself? If they are real, what are your thoughts on self on my me self-selecting an annuity versus enlisting the help of a broker? that can shop across his or her commission-paying insurers? Is there value to be had by shopping for annuities on your own? I welcome your thoughts. Many thanks for the continuing education that you and Chris provide. Before I get into his answer, did you find out what the heck happened on May 3rd, 2003 to the old man in the mountain? I did. So the old man in the mountain was a stone face on the side of a stone cliff that when looked at it in profile looked like the face of a man and had been there for a very very long time as rocks tend to be but in on may 3rd of 2003 it collapsed 
And so they, as rocks tend to do on the side of a mountain, and um, residents considered replacing it with a replica, but ultimately rejected the idea. So it's still on state license plates, I believe, but the face fell off of the mountain. Oh, you lost face. Yep. I did not know that. The old man of the mountain. I've seen it because I used to live, not lived in New Hampshire, but not far from there. And we've seen it driving by in the past. I didn't realize it fell. All right. A couple of things here um, with his question. Do, com- quote unquote, commission free or fee based annuities exist? Yes, listener, they exist. Let- yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. But like that very famous letter. The Santa Claus comes with a lot of nuances when they said, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. So, yes, listener, there is what you're calling a commission-free annuity. But there's a lot of caveats to that. One thing that I find ironic is he went to NAPFA, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, a group of people who hate annuities, absolutely despise them. And they swear that they will not take a commission of any type. And that's why they hate annuities. But now all of a sudden, NAP for advisors can get their uncapped AUM fee. Beautiful. On an annuity. Wonderful. And all of a sudden, they love annuities. They hated them when they couldn't be paid on them. They love them now that they can be. I just don't like that. that that's just Bull. There is absolutely positively nothing wrong with paying a commission on the purchase of an annuity. I just want to make that perfectly clear. And for all of a sudden, NAPFA advisors to have a come to Jesus moment and they love annuities now and they want you to go into one. It's because they can charge a fee on them now. I highly doubt your NAPFA advisor was talking about a single premium immediate annuity, which Chris and I talk about all the time, because those are very, very, very rare in the quote-unquote commission-free option. I think only one company offers one. I believe it's a relatively new one that one company might offer a SPIA. And don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure. Most of the annuities that will offer a lifetime stream of income are going to be a fixed annuity or a variable, but most likely fixed. It'll be a fixed indexed annuity with an income benefit on it that allows a fee-based planner or an AUM advisor to charge their AUM fee on it because you're going to put your money into this annuity And also what the insurance company is going to do is allow you to withdraw a certain amount of money from that annuity contract every year. They'll tell you the maximum amount you can take out. There is your quote-unquote income benefit. And as long as you only take that maximum amount out or less every year, if you live long enough and your annuity reaches zero, The insurance company will continue to pay that income. Why fee-based advisors who hated annuities before but now had a come-to-Jesus moment and love them, they love those because they can continue charging their 1% or whatever he was going to charge you, AUM fee, on that annuity. 
So all of a sudden, they love annuities. You can get your income benefit. They can continue to draw their income, their advisor, quote unquote, advisor fee. Yes, you can tell and sense the cynicism in my voice on this. That advisors who supposedly are fiduciaries are going to do what's in your best interest, hated annuities, encouraged you never to buy an annuity. Don't go buy a single premium immediate annuity. That's stupid. Leave your money with me. I'm going to manage it and take money from you every year and allow you to to take a withdrawal from it. That's a much better thing to do. And annuities are evil and vile and they stink and you don't want one. Now, all of a sudden, they can charge on them and they're telling you, oh, well, yes, you might want to consider an annuity. So just be aware of the cynicism that I have where all of a sudden advisors who hated a product now love that product. How does it work? You cannot do what you hope to do. Go out and buy one of these on your own. What you are advocating is a relatively new insurance product where the regulations have not caught up to it. And I caution any advisor out there who is giving advice on annuities, but you do not have an insurance license. It's no different. And you all hate insurance agents who give advice on investments. You scream and moan and hate that and say they should not be giving investment advice. They can't. And I know they are. They're giving investment advice and they're telling people to go buy annuities and they shouldn't. They don't have all the training and the licenses that I have. Well, all you NAPFA advisors and other advisors out there who are giving advice on annuities and charging on them, the insurance industry, at least the the brokers, are yelling at you. How can you be giving advice on a product that you are not licensed to sell? So this is everything that I see in the industry and all this tit for tat and this, this anger going back and forth. Me, I'm just cynical. Because I see these being used as nothing more than helping subtract money from you into an AUM model. I still firmly believe in single premium immediate annuities, not these type of withdrawal benefit annuities that allow them to charge a fee on top of it, an AUM fee on top of it. Dollar for dollar, you usually, not all the time, but usually get more out of a spear. So any advisor that you go to who's going to advocate one of these types of annuities for an income benefit, that it's going to be, it's a withdrawal benefit, guarantee minimum withdrawal benefit is usually what it goes by. You do pay for that. There's usually about a 70 to 100 basis point fee that will come out of your annuity every year to pay for that withdrawal benefit, as well as the investment advisory fee that they are going to charge you. And I personally think it's bull, BS, to charge an AUM fee on an annuity that's simply being held to give a lifetime guaranteed stream of income. Now, if they're going to waive that annuity from their AUM fee, encourage you to put 200, excuse me, 200,000, 300,000, half a million, whatever it is into it, 
to generate the income benefit. And they actually sit there and say, you know, there's really not too much we're going to be doing with this annuity. It's a fixed indexed annuity. You get this income benefit, irrespective of how much the annuity earns every year. This is your withdrawal benefit. We're not going to charge you on it. Then I would be receptive to it. But if they're going to charge you on something that, first of all, they're not even licensed to sell and they're not, they're going to use a wholesaler who will be the licensed agent, not the advisor. They will receive a power of attorney, a limited power of attorney from the insurance company to help you service the contract. And you are also signing away the right for them to debit the contract for their AUM fee. But they are not the writing insurance agent. The wholesaler is. The wholesaler is the one you will be working with. And you'll be working with an agent from the wholesaling company. And they will be the writing agent. Your advisor, who's not even licensed to sell insurance, is going to be charging a fee on a product they're not even licensed to sell. I'm amazed that the regulators haven't caught up to this. I love what the insurance industry is doing and stripping out the commission. I hate the fact that the fees that AUM advisors are charging are greater than the commissions you would have paid. And I'm shocked that people who are not licensed to sell insurance products are giving advice on insurance products. Yet at the same time, they scream at insurance agents who also should not be giving investment advice, I concede that, but often are when they sell the exact same annuity you might be considering or being offered, except on the commission platform, they often do, incidental to selling the annuity, talk about investing, especially if it's an indexed annuity, and they start talking about the different indexes. I'm pissed at that as well. They have no right to be doing that because they are not licensed to sell securities. They shouldn't be telling you to move IRA money or 401k money and sell whatever the heck your IRA or 401k was holding and move it to their annuity. They should not be allowed to do that either. And the regulations say they're not. But what I'm just I, I, I laugh at and get angry over, as you can tell, is the same advisors who hate insurance agents talking about investments are now talking about annuities, but they have no licenses or understanding, honestly, on how annuities even work because their mantra for years was annuities bad, AUM good. Okay, that's the cynical, Jim. You cannot, unfortunately, buy a fee-based annuity on your own and rule out the advisor because annuities, like all insurance, are distributed in different, quote-unquote, platforms. So fee-based annuities are only distributed on what's called the advisor platform. We are an advisory firm, and I'm also a licensed insurance agent. So I can represent both and truly do, in my opinion, what's best. And to me, I like spears over these annuities. But even if we did do one of these annuities for people, we don't charge on them. I just think it's asinine to charge an AUM fee on an annuity that's designed to give you an income stream. So you cannot buy them. You have to find an advisor. 
So talk to this advisor if you're going to move forward, since you can't go do it on your own. What are you going to charge me to open this fee-based annuity? We Most of the fee-based annuities we use are fee-based or quote-unquote commission-free. And I always put commission-free listener in quotes because even though the advisor is not going to earn a commission, who does earn a commission, Chris? The wholesaler still is getting a com- small commission, yeah. Yep. The wholesaling firms earn commissions, which makes me scratch my head. You have these guys and gals, these nap for people and others like them, who hate commissions, who think collecting a commission is going to cloud a person's judgment to the point where they're only going to push products that pay them more of a commission than a product that is truly best for a client. So to keep themselves falling victim to that potential conflict, they just don't sell anything with a commission. Yet they feel now comfortable affiliating with a wholesaling firm that earns commissions on selling these annuities. I had to affiliate with a wholesaling firm in order to offer these annuities to my clients. I asked this wholesaling firm to please disclose to me the commission they will earn on this annuity, on any annuity that they rep, um, recommend to me, as well as the commissions on the annuities that they told me not to consider or that they recommend I don't consider, but we're close to solving the issue for my client. They refused. They said they will not give me that information. That's just bull. Again, it's the the cynicism in me on this. Do they not see that commission-free is still paying a commission? And if commissions are evil, why are they now all of a sudden not evil when it's a wholesaler doing it? You don't think they have the same conflicts? Not saying the wholesaling firm is going to act on those conflicts, but they do have a conflict. Why doesn't that wholesaling firm disclose what their commission is? I don't know, but they told me they won't tell me. So there is a commission paid. It's a smaller commission than what goes to the selling broker. That I will concede, but there is a commission paid on the quote unquote sale of one of these fee-based annuities. The company that distributes them will earn a commission. They don't earn diddly squat if you don't buy an annuity through your advisor. So that's how these products are distributed. The one thing I will say, when it comes to MIGAs, because that's where I use them the most, I would say, and this is anecdotal, about 80% of the time, a fee-based MIGA will have a higher interest rate for our clients than a commission-based MIGA. But notice I didn't say 100% of the time, folks. And it's not 100% of the time. We have three MIGAs being opened right now. One is fee-based. Two are commission-based because the commission-based options are paying more than the fee-based options right now. So riddle me this, folks. If you affiliate with an advisory firm who's going to charge you a 
one percent or half a percent or eight tenths of a percent or one and a quarter percent AUM fee to buy a MIGA multi-year guaranteed annuity from them that might be paying, I'm just going to make these numbers up, 5.8%, but they're going to charge eight tenths of a percent, 80 bips management fee forever on it. Or a commission annuity would pay 5.7 or even 5.6 for the life. That's the spread. It's a very small spread between a commission-based MIGA and a fee-based MIGA. What's the better MIGA? Gee, I think the commission would have been better for you. And that's what we do. And there are firms out there like mine who will show you both sides of the coin. Here is a fee-based MIGA, and this is what I'm going to charge you to open it and keep it with my firm. And you should be disclosing, I am not a licensed insurance agent. I don't have a license. I can't have an insurance license and be part of NAPFA because I cannot accept commissions. So I don't have an insurance license. But I'm going to affiliate with this wholesaler. And this wholesaler told me that this annuity is what you should consider. But I have no idea how much that wholesale is going to earn in a commission. But here is my fee that I'm going to charge you to open it. But they should also tell you, if you don't give me this money and buy it through me and net of my fee, you could buy a commission one, not through me, but out there. And the commission ones are paying this much. And then you should compare the two folks. And I'm telling you, not all the time do the fee-based ones beat out. The commission ones often do win out. And again, there are some insurance products, long-term care, single premium immediate annuities that don't have a lot of fee-based options on them, if any at all right now. And even the fee-based MIGAs and the fee-based income annuities that you might be considering, listener, pale in comparison to the number of commission-based annuities out there. You owe it to yourself to compare both. That's all I'm saying. And all you fee-based advisors who all of a sudden had to come to Jesus moment and love income annuities because you can charge on them now, you owe it to your clients to compare the annuity you're going to put them in minus your fee forever on that annuity if you're charging on it compared to what they could get from a commission-based annuity. You owe it to your client as a fiduciary to do that. Even if it means three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars walks out your door, you need to look at both. All right, could you sense my little irkness? Not with his question, but with the industry and what they're doing. Yeah, it's just another example of lack of transparency. I think that if you know more consumers could easily see how all this works, the better the position they'd be in to make the best decision for themselves and. It's another case where things aren't as clear as they might otherwise be. Um, and that's intentional by the industry, which is too bad. So, Right. Um, to me, yeah. there is no right or wrong business model. I do concede there are a lot, a lot 
the vast majority, I would even go so far as saying that's going to piss a lot of people off, of insurance agents who do sell the commission and the annuity. But there are just as many fee-based advisors who are pushing pr- – that, that's the thing. Don't get us going on – or me going on this. But the CFP board says – doesn't call it commission. Calls it sales-based compensation. And if you accept, they don't mind if you accept sales-based compensation, but if you accept sales-based compensation and you're a CFP, you cannot call yourself a fee-only advisor. Yet they somehow don't feel an investment advisor who makes a living off of AUM. They just want to gather your assets and take one percent of it, which I think is BS. But that's what they want to do. They don't charge you a fixed fee. They charge you a percentage of assets. They don't tell you. They don't cap it. They don't tell you in dollars what you're going to pay them every year. They just say, oh, 1%. Sounds so innocent and harmless. They don't get paid if you don't buy something from them. If you don't buy them, their service. They are selling their service. It's no different than someone selling a commission product. Neither party gets paid unless you move money to them. It's a sales industry. Only my industry likes the delusion itself that it's not sales. Even an attorney or a doctor or a mechanic is a sales industry. You don't believe me? There's billboards all around Colorado for Frank D. Azar. And every other attorney out there who's looking for someone who tripped and fell, they're selling themselves. That's what they're selling. A doctor sells themselves. Life is sales. To single out commission people, and I'm not a commission advisor. I don't sell investments that earn a commission. We just cap our asset management fee because I despise the uncapped AUM fee. And I despise now people who hated annuities are selling them like hot dogs or or whatever the saying is like, yeah, like hot dogs, isn't it? Like crazy. And generating their fees on a product they spent their whole careers telling you to avoid. Now, all of a sudden they love it because they say there's no commission on it. Well, maybe there's no commission to them, but there's a commission to the wholesaler they're using. Why is that commission okay? And oftentimes, net of their fee, a commissioned annuity would have been cheaper. And as a fiduciary, they have an obligation to look at both and to send your money out their door and say, hey, this commission product net of my fee is better. Go buy that one. Or I'm going to lower my fee to make it equal to what you would have paid under the commission product. But they don't do that. So I digress. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, you and I both have a meeting we have to prep for. So that's going to have to wrap for this show. You got time for one more? Nope. No, that went a little too long. Sorry. So, uh, Thanks for sending in your questions. We do have another 2023 show coming up that will air right before the end of the year. So if you've got questions you want to have us consider for this uh, final show, you can try to sneak them in. Uh, We always try to pluck out at least one question that's very recent. Um, Jim calls it the new question of the week. Um, So no guarantees, but it's worth trying. And uh, the way to submit your question is to email Jim directly. 
jim at jimhelps.com is the email address. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S.com. And uh, put in the subject line, there's a question for the show, and he'll take a, take a look at it. So uh, thanks, everybody, again for listening. And, Jim, I'll talk to you in our meeting coming up, and uh, everyone else will be back Have a with great you. Christmas. I think you listen yeah. to this before or after Christmas. Some people will listen, download it and listen to it before Christmas. So we'll talk to you again uh, after the Christmas holiday uh, with a brand-new show next week, which happens to be after Christmas. So thanks, everybody. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 